On today's 51%, we begin a two-part series on human trafficking and unhoused youth. I ride along with a street outreach coordinator for a youth shelter. What you're doing, it's not that it's not okay, but is it serving a purpose to help you get to who you want to be? And we'll meet a woman who has walked the Underground Railroad to raise awareness about human trafficking. I'm Jackie Orchard, and this is 51% that are in poverty, those that are exploring their sexual identity, there are a lot of vulnerabilities that lead to you kind of being the one that people could... Bree Phillips is the Street Outreach Program Manager for Captain Community Human Services, based in Saratoga County, New York. Captain has programs to address youth homelessness, poverty, hunger, family dysfunction, and human trafficking. Phillips reaches out to people on the street who are homeless or in danger of being trafficked. We met up in Clifton Park for a ride-along in one of the street outreach vans. The backspace is stocked with labeled plastic bins and drawers full of food, clothes, and hygiene kits. We are known as the boots on the ground of this organization. If people say, you know, where is your street outreach team? The answer is, I may not know at this moment because they're meeting the needs of the community. The van that we're riding in right now is so important because it actually is stocked with Wi-Fi. In the back we have clothing, we have food, we have resources and referrals. And so our goal is that by having our phones on us, we go and meet the needs of clients right where they're at. Phillips says the street outreach team, which has five members, works specifically with 13 to 24 year olds. One of my favorite things about our program is that we can often prevent situations. By being confident and comfortable and going up to someone, we aren't trying to rescue them. We're trying to provide opportunity to learn more or to choose to not go down a path if they had that education to be able to say no. And so half the time we are just introducing ourselves. We're sharing what street outreach is, which is a non-judgmental and voluntary way to learn about your community services and access them with support if you'd like it. The two states with the highest homeless population are New York with more than 92,000 and California with over 150,000, respectively. Phillips says street outreach staff have Facebook pages because people experiencing homelessness may not always have a cell phone with data. So if they're at the library, if they're at a laundromat and they can get on Wi-Fi, that's how they connect with us. And so we're trying to change the game of how services are provided to individuals by breaking down the barriers, and also sharing with them how safe it can be if you build that trust. Philip says outreach workers have to work to build trust. Because there are times that I have met with a young woman or a young man, and I may not see them again for about three months. Because it's either overwhelming, their situation has changed, and to have someone call you three months later and still pick up that phone and say, it is so nice to hear your voice, how are you, is what changes the game with other providers at times you've missed your appointment, you missed the chance to get the help, and with us we're saying the door is always open. Philip says the number of young people she helps changes seasonally. One of the things we see is that in the summer we're not getting those calls from the school districts. They're not seeing the lunch lady who's noticing that they're not getting their meal and then calling us and saying, hey, can you come chat with this youth? So in the summer that is why drop-ins are really important for us. At the time right now, we have about 15 youth on our caseload here in Saratoga. And with that being said, within Safe Harbor, so those at risk of human trafficking, we have about over 20 that we have worked with. 
Phillips says most of her human trafficking cases are brought to her attention by the community, people who notice concerning behavior. Individuals or youth that are experiencing human trafficking may not even know that this is occurring. And so for us, when we do kind of peek behind that door and someone says this may be happening, again, it's an opportunity to educate. And we are not necessarily saying to the youth, we know that this is occurring. We are saying there are some vulnerabilities you're experiencing due to either unstable housing, lack of support from your family, or even lack of access to education. And so what is it that we can do to build up your resiliency? so that if you were to ever encounter a situation like this, what can we do to walk you out of it? Phillips says those experiencing poverty and food insecurity are at a higher risk of trafficking. That idea of I'm going to go help my mom get money so that we can pay for the groceries can lead to youth possibly going on like a Craigslist to find a job because they may not know of Indeed yet. And so they're just looking up job searching. Well, there you may find a type of job that's a little bit more insecure or unstable. And when they go to that job, depending on what's happening, you know, sometimes we've seen where it's been a modeling gig or even at a massage parlor. And the individual is receiving gratification from what happened because they're young, they just made money for their family, they worked probably very hard, and when they come home, there's a gratefulness that comes from the family because they just had money that they haven't seen before. And so a youth may not realize because that felt really uncomfortable and I didn't tell my parents exactly everything that happened, it's okay because I got the money and we're actually going to eat tonight. And so there is a huge part of being non-judgmental when you're working with a youth that may be experiencing human trafficking because for us to open that door and say, could I share with you a different side of it or a different lens, in that moment they still may not realize it because we do call it survival sex. I will do this for this in exchange. And so sometimes it's for a place to sleep. It is for that thing to eat. Philip says when a young person becomes homeless, the first 48 hours are most critical. It is known that within, you know, the first 48 hours of a youth being on the street, they are asked if they want to engage in a type of situation that could lead to human trafficking. And so can we catch that moment before it happens? Philip says when teens run away, it's often because of a boiling point, meaning they rush out without even a phone. And so how are we getting to our friend's house? We may go to the nearest gas station and say, hey, I don't know you, you don't know me. Would you be willing to put this call in for me? Or we may find someone at a laundromat and say, could I borrow your phone to make a call? That is an exchange right there where someone is helping you and as a young adult or even as an adult, you may not know what that meant for that other person. That may have been an agreed upon situation in their head where because I just gave you my phone, I'd like you to spend some time with me. And we're not thinking of that because again, in survival. Philip says she never judges someone for being in a survival sex situation. Because when you're left with no goods, no money, no anything, what are you left with? You're left with yourself. And so people are just trying to make it by. And that's what's most important for me when we're working with individuals is to understand that they are doing their best at every moment. And what can we do to actually say, hey, if you, were act if you take my services, you could do less. You might be able to go to sleep tonight and still have food in your stomach, still be able to go out the next day and be able to have something to pay for. And I'm not going to ask you to go talk to anyone else but me. And that is like the most meaningful thing, I think, to be able to say to a youth. 
Philip says the most vulnerable age range for survival sex situations is 18 to 21-year-olds, because in the eyes of the Department of Social Services, financially, you're considered an adult at the age of 21. So if you leave home before the age of 21 and you want help from social services, you're likely going to be asked to return home. You're teeter-tottering between needing to be in the custody of your parents for them to care for you, but also kind of being at that age where you may be ready to go on your own, you just don't have all of those resources. So we do a lot of harm reduction during that moment in that age range to kind of work with youth to say, is there something I could do to help you actually stay in your home? Could I help you build resiliency to help you communicate with your parents? Because we are actually reunification based. If we can make that happen, we absolutely will. Philip says she always asks the young person, what is your goal? If they're ready to build self-sufficiency, then absolutely we will we'll go there with them. At the same time, I think it's very important to be role models that could say, you don't have to do this now if you don't want to, and I will still be a part of your process. You know, I don't ever want someone to look at street outreach and say, I can only access them if I'm truly homeless. It's not true. Philip says oftentimes in human trafficking situations, the abuser is also their boyfriend. It really truly can be anyone. The one thing that's very fascinating when you look at the human trafficking statistics is that it's often not a stranger. You and I may think that it's similar to the movie Taken, where someone just gets pulled out from that bed and smuggled, and it's happening right here. And that's where that idea of it being from your hometown and people that know you, because the people that can seek out your vulnerabilities are the people that may have known you the longest or the people that you are getting the closest to because in that moment they need to know the characteristics about you to help kind of manipulate that so it can happen through a relationship with a boyfriend and the other thing i would like to mention is that it doesn't matter what gender often we're not seeing young men or men come out and say that this has happened to them because truthfully they may not be having the choice of what gender they're interacting with sexually and that can be really harmful to their you know identity of who they are and when they come to speak to us about it they don't want to be judged and so we aren't hearing as much from them those relationships begin by I really care about you right now I notice that you don't really have anyone and so I've got a place you can come stay with me you stay with the person for a little while and you feel safe and you feel secure when you feel secure is the moment that often that big fear comes in for youth and young adults because they didn't realize that maybe the months they were staying with this individual or the weeks that maybe that individual was actually tallying how much that time they thought they owe and that youth did not know that was part of the agreement. Phillips drives us to an encampment where a situation like that had happened. In the parking lot of a grocery store, I can just make out a thin trail through the woods. You follow kind of the line of the foliage and then you want to see, is there a walking path? So one of the things you can see back there is there's actually a flag. Um, and that was a sign that there was someone back there. Garbage is another sign because where are people going to be able to expose of their stuff? And this encampment is one that literally is right next to a grocery store. And so people are shopping here every day and they don't realize that just around the corner people have been living here. Philip says the encampment is now broken down, but she picked up a young woman here once. So this young woman was in our shelter between the ages of 13 and 17. She had left our shelter. Her parents had split up. And when she was back here in New York, she went into 
and a, t- a type of like affordable housing situation. She was young. And so what was happening was at night there was a curfew in this housing, yet everyone else here doesn't have a curfew. And so she saw that and said, well, I kind of want to stay out at night a little bit longer. And she did. And it led to her losing her housing. And so when that housing came down, she found housing with everyone back here. Phillips says an adult shelter was hosting a drop-in center, and people who knew Phillips observed the young woman may have been in a human trafficking situation. And she was around some men that they felt were unsafe. The language that was being used is, this is our party girl, this is the young woman that's always with us. And again, we held the concern first. If we go up to the young woman and say, I am so scared for you, I can't believe you're engaging with these people, I don't know if I would ever see her again. And so what we do is, again, we introduce ourselves. We say, this is what we offer. This is what we're here for. And in her case, she did ghost us for about three weeks. We couldn't find her. And so we go through these encampments as part of our work. And she actually found me one day. And she came up and she said, hey, I heard I'm on your list. And I said, what list? And, you know, a list of people that may need help for trafficking. And I said, oh, So when she said to me, I think I'm on it, I said, do you feel you would need to be? Do you feel that you're in a place where you actually need the support for something like that? And she said, yes. And I was like, okay, then. I said, you can join my list. Philip says she is trained to assess the situation and ask the young person if they want to leave. And in that that moment, she said, absolutely. And she did. Philip says she pooled all of her resources, grabbed someone from the adult shelter, and helped the young woman who was being trafficked to call her mom. And her mom hadn't heard from her in a long time. And I said, ma'am, have your daughter with me, and she'd like to come home. And the woman just started crying. Phillips wants young people to know that her offer of help never expires. Because if today's the day, it's the day. And we will stay with you until we figure it out. And if it's not, we will respectfully come and find you another day and say, how are you today? As we pull away from the encampment, I see that the area is heavily wooded with garbage strewn about. And so this was actually where she was sleeping every night engaging in what we would call survival sex. And so she wasn't one person back here. She was a part of a group of over five other people that were all living back there, but she had a very specific role. And that was something that she couldn't tolerate anymore and was ready to get going. I ask Phillips about the stigma facing the unhoused. Number one, if you don't know how to get involved, ask someone like myself. My favorite thing to do is actually what I'm doing with you right now. I will take people out in this van and talk to them about the ways that they can get involved because you may not know the opportunity that you have in store or what you could offer to an individual experiencing homelessness. And so a lot of the things and the goods that we give out of clothing, food, and hygiene are things that you may have in your room. So if you're going on a vacation and you have those little travel soaps and you may bring your soap, take that back with you. Bring it to a program like myself because that's exactly what we give out to people and it's so helpful. According to the Department of Housing and Urban Development, in 2019, more than 560,000 people across the country were homeless, the majority Black and Hispanic males. Philip says people are not homeless. They are experiencing homelessness. Sometimes we say that's a homeless person. I don't love that language because this is a moment in their life and you and I may not have known who they were before. 
by getting to know these individuals, we find out that they are college graduates, that they are some of the most profound artists. And it's access that they don't have in this moment when they're meeting us. They don't have access to an art studio to make the next biggest piece. They may not have access to a kitchen to be able to cook the food that would actually keep them healthy. And so they may be ill while they're out on the street. Philip says drug use is a huge problem, but her team isn't there to judge. One of the things that we've been working on is being allies and saying to individuals that we can supply you with Narcan. We can supply you with fentanyl test strips so that you can actually test your drugs before you use them. Because we're also trying to say who you are and what you're doing. It's not that it's not okay, but is it serving a purpose to help you get to who you want to be and where you want to go? And my favorite thing that I do share with a lot of people with this work is that by communicating with someone, you are helping them start to talk and create like a living narrative. If we walk by these individuals and we just look, there's a lot of silence that happens in their day and ours as well, where we just don't know. But if you open up that narrative and you're willing to take the conversation, you may find they actually have a home and they don't know how to get back or that they have a skill set that they are waiting to utilize and they just need that opportunity. Phillips drives me next to a rundown motel in Clifton Park. When individuals are placed by the Department of Social Services, we don't have enough shelters. And so people are placed in motels. When an individual gets placed in a motel, one of the things that's happening right now is for you and I, we're coming out of downtown where there is walkable distance for people to have access to a bathroom, to have access to food, the laundromat. Where we're going right now is gonna be where one of the DSS motels are, and there's no access. And so what do what does an individual do when they've left and they've chosen the service, but now they're in an even tougher situation because they're alone? And so what we do in street outreach, and we have a team of now five agencies that come together to do this, we do motel outreach. We bring food to the motels. We knock on every door in the morning and we say, good morning, how are you doing today? And people are like, I'm fine. And you just say, hey, in my van, I have a lot of stuff here. I wanna make sure that while you're here, you have what you need. And so can I, can I offer you anything? And you may find clients in that moment that you can help or you're helping someone take that next step. So here's one of the first motels right here. And so again, there's one store right here where they can eat at, but who knows if they could totally afford it in that moment. And other than that, there's nowhere to go. Philip says many clients also lack transportation to get back to the Department of Social Services. And if you miss your appointment, the services end. They just got sent to a motel in a place they have no idea where it was or, you know, they didn't even get to pick. And now they need to figure out in a week how to get back to DSS. And so that's another reason why our role is so important is because we have to make sure that those services are followed through on in order for someone to access that support. Human trafficking generates an estimated $150 billion worldwide per year, and it's estimated that about 30% of traffickers globally are family members. Philip says a pimp or a human trafficker has no look. It's often someone you know, and so that the way they look, 
it could be very different. It's what they're asking of you. It's the language. It is the type of bond that they're creating. I call it trauma bonding, where you push someone away and then you pull them right back. And that push and pull leads to being very disoriented, not knowing what this type of relationship is. But there's a moment where you're experiencing love and a moment where you're experiencing extreme fear and you don't know which person you're gonna meet that day in that role. And that's part of like a trafficker's tactic is to make sure that you don't know what's gonna happen because at all times it could go good and that's what's gonna keep you. Or it may go south and you're still gonna stay because maybe there's a little bit of money involved or something like that. Philip says when drugs are involved, it gets even more complicated because the drugs are used as a hook and the trafficker is the supplier. According to the National Coalition for the Homeless, about 40% of homeless people are alcohol dependent and 30% are dependent on other drugs. And so that's one of my biggest concerns is when I find out that there is a mix of substance use in with human trafficking because I can't provide that in the same way. And so we have to really do a harm reduction model to meet them where they're at to say, first, can we get you medical attention? to be safe and supported in an environment where you could walk away from this. Philip says gender identity has increasingly been a reason why children leave home. I recently this year, I believe I have had five transgender youth that have come through my program, and that's very new. And when we do talk about what are the reasons that may have led to you experiencing homelessness, often it was that experience of coming out within the home, not necessarily being seen or heard, and then feeling like this isn't a place where I feel safe to be who I am. In 2019, there were almost 3,000 unaccompanied young people in New York State. Philip says after working to find so many unhoused and trafficked children every day, she has a message for parents. Be open to hearing what your child is saying, because one of the things I know is that when a youth is yelling at me, that's the most important moment to actually listen. They are so invigorated, energetic, and loud to communicate something to me. And so in the moments of parenting where I think our parents may be like, please don't yell at me, that is the moment where I'm like, this is your breakthrough. And if you can stay calm and hear what they're saying, they may be for the first time fully expressing in a very loud way what they need from you. And if you can't provide it, the second thing I would say to a parent is be not afraid of people like ourselves who want to support you because there are a lot of reunification-based services. And when you have that, our goal is to say, I may hold something that your daughter or son can't hear from you. And if you welcome me in, not to be a part of your family, but to walk alongside your guy's journey, you can still get that message across. And that's one of my favorite conversations to have with youth and parents if I get the chances. You know, hey, if I told you what you're doing on your cell phone may be inappropriate or unsafe, why are you listening to me when I know mom said that to you a day ago and that's why you're here with me is because you were really upset she said it to you. And so being able to let down that ego a little bit and say there are other people in this in this field, in our community, that can help raise your child. I truly think that it takes a village and a community to raise our children. And so if we do open ourselves up to all the different ways, I mean, that is why school for me is so powerful is because you know that those teachers there are also holding a part of parenting for your child. And so I love making sure that our youth are in school 
And so just open up your lens a little bit to see if there is a struggle. See if there's another person that could meet the need to build a team of support around your children or your child so that they don't feel like they have to go find a new family. For almost two months, one woman walked 902 miles to raise awareness about human trafficking. She stopped in Albany, New York, before finishing the trek June 19th. The Free Them Walk follows the route of the Underground Railroad from Lynchburg, Virginia to Buffalo, New York, because Kelly Diane Galloway says human trafficking is modern-day slavery. By the time Galloway reached Albany, she had walked 607 miles. Human trafficking today still affects over 40.3 million people worldwide, and it is a $150 billion business. Slavery still exists. People are still being bought and sold for sex. People are still being bought and sold for labor. People are still being bought and sold for medical experimentation. People are still being bought and sold for entertainment. Galloway says most people don't start caring about the problem until they're affected personally. You hear the stories about those young girls who can never escape, who feel like they can never escape what happened to them because there's videos and pictures of them floating all around the internet. Are you moved yet? Or are you going to wait until it happens to your child? The Free Them Walk also included stops in Richmond, Philadelphia, and New York City. Galloway says she hopes her journey educates others about human trafficking and lends hope for victims of exploitation. We're going to end in Buffalo, New York, and we're going to get there on Juneteenth, June 19th. Galloway says traffickers are really good at making young women feel that they are alone with no options. They're trained manipulators, and they try to make you feel like you're by yourself, and the truth is you're not. According to the State Department's 2021 Trafficking in Persons report, the COVID-19 pandemic increased the number of people trafficked as governments across the world diverted resources toward the pandemic. The report found that in the United States, landlords often forced their tenants to have sex with them when the tenant could not pay rent. And as schools shifted to remote learning during the pandemic, online recruitment and grooming increased as children spent more time online. The State Department's top recommendation for the last five years has been for law enforcement to investigate labor trafficking. The report says the government continued to not mandate human trafficking screening for all foreign national adults in immigration detention or custody. Officials prosecuted fewer cases for the third year in a row and secured convictions against fewer traffickers for the second year in a row. Advocates continued to report concerns that trafficking survivors were held in immigration detention, and survivors continued to be arrested for the unlawful acts traffickers compelled them to commit. I was standing around like one of those girls I had seen in a movie. The whole world was a movie back then. Thanks for joining us for this week's 51%. Thanks to our story editor, Ian Pickus. Thanks to Tina Rennick and Liz Hill for production assistance. Our executive producer is Dr. Alan Shartok. Our theme music is Lolita by Albany-based artist Girl Blue. 51% is a national production of Northeast Public Radio. If you'd like to hear this episode again or share it with your friends, sign up for our podcast or visit WAMC.org. 
And don't forget, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at 51% Radio. I'm your host, Jackie Orchard. Until next week, remember, the future is fearless. (laughs) 